This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by HCJ Contacts. Okay, without any further ado, let us begin. My name is Darren Joseph, HJ.Tats. We're a team of cross-border tax advisors that seek to demystify the sometimes confusing world of international tax for those of us who are trying to live that international lifestyle. Today, we have the honor and the privilege of speaking to the one, the only, Mr. William Fung. Bill, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, thank you. Uh, so uh, again, my name is William Funk. I'm a, uh, uh, a tax attorney, you know, member of the uh, uh, firm Norris McLaughlin, uh, and uh, I do. Uh, I have a you know, fairly broad tax practice, which covers such things as uh, cross-border you know, tax planning for corporate transactions, as well as uh, you know partnerships, personal matters. Uh, state and local and i also deal with civil tax controversy so it's a fairly broad uh you know, fairly broad tax practice and the only thing which i do not do i do not do any gift in the state tax planning <laughs> okay all right <laughs> that, that, that's a pretty thorough introduction i appreciate it and so this is a note to wendy when you're editing this uh could you use this as a beginning to all, all the q a so we we have some questions which we think you know represent the the concerns of people who are considering moving to the u.s and and what the the questions that we tend to get as well as the questions that we think that they should ask uh, as they begin or as they continue that that incredibly challenging process of moving from one jurisdiction to the other so what i'd like to do is i'll just start with number one for those who are joining now if you have any questions yourself and that you would like to ask, please feel free to type them in the box below and we get to them the order in which we receive them. So the first one is, Phil, what type of migrants uh, require pre-immigration tax planning from, from your point of view and from your experience? Actually, I would say really anybody who's you know considering uh, you know any type of uh, long stay in the in the United States and mm-hmm. and so uh, you know, that the uh, you know the pre-immigration tax planning really should not start with uh, uh, you know with becoming uh, you know, with getting a green card or with uh, becoming uh, U.S. citizen. Really, as soon as somebody knows. Uh, that they're going to be spending considerable uh, time in the United States, that's the time to start considering what sort of exposure that they want to the United States. So there are some people who uh, you have uh, who are planning temporary business stays, uh, you know, who plan to maintain closer connections uh, you know, to their home country. And there's some people you know, who sort of may be on the fence and uh, think, well, that they might, you know, they might want to retain a closer connection to their a home country, or to make the United States, uh, you know, the new home. But as soon as uh, you know, that there are major transitions that are planned, that's the time to start considering the options, as well as to consider, as well, what sort of flexibility it's needed, because it's uh, you know, that the types of 
planning that are done to keep somebody, to make sure that somebody has a minimal U.S. tax footprint are different from those, uh, you know, that, uh, you, you know, that essentially sort of prepare somebody for worldwide taxation and uh, you put somebody in the best position possible uh, you, know, you know for then and you know for the uh, quite extensive US tax compliance that's required. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. So it is quite an involved process. Uh, clearly uh, clearly this this is true. Now, typically, at least, I mean, you can share your perspective, but what I've found is that, okay, someone is planning to make the move and they perhaps come from a jurisdiction that is not as complex when it, from, a, from a tax point of view, which is kind of like most other jurisdictions. And then they, then they recognize, hey, I need help. How do I find someone to help me? They reach out to, if it's an intercompany transfer, they speak to the CPA firm that, or the, the, the tax team that, the, the company is using or friends and relatives, invariably, it's someone who is more proficient with domestic tax matters as opposed to international tax. And sometimes they, it gets confusing, right? So therefore, the process may not be as thorough as it otherwise can be. So what, how, how would you recommend that someone who's planning that move in the process of making that move, how do they find the right tax team to work with? What, how how would you advise them? What, what how would you point them in the right direction? Well, I, I think that uh, it starts mm -hmm. with to uh, to reaching out to somebody like you, uh, somebody who <laughs> uh, uh, I think you know, that uh, you know that you know that, you know, that uh, uh, you know, it's not just CPAs and you know enrolled agents, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, also are high, are uh, highly qualified, uh, you know, to uh, uh, you know you know to advise and to uh, to start the conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's something that I would. Uh, you notice that uh, you know, whoever the, you know, that is, uh, you know, whoever that's brought in, so it should be somebody who is familiar with the you know, really with two types of things. Uh, you, know, you know that uh, you know, that they should be familiar both with U.S. domestic uh, you know, tax laws as well as U.S. international. And part of the reason for that is that there's a layered approach. That is that the uh, uh, you know that the U.S. Air National rules, whether it's the inbound rules regarding uh, you know, tax you know, regarding investments held by somebody who's not from the U.S. and so trying to minimize withholding, or uh, the rules with respect to uh, U.S. outbound uh, in uh, where that U.S. people have overseas holdings. And by the way, and, and pre-immigration planning ends up combining both elements of those. You know, but a lot of those international rules, uh, you know, that they have the effect of switching on and switching off various U.S. domestic rules. And so to have only the, the U.S. international rules is to miss a lot of the context that makes the international rules make sense. Uh, and then the you know, thing I would add is that uh, that they should also sort of know um, – know their boundaries know uh, know what their lane is so for instance uh you know that uh you know, that in in all these circumstances we're talking about somebody coming to the united states from uh, another country with its own tax laws and mm. so uh that these are things that should be coordinated because mm. you know that if the u.s uh advice Ends up triggering greater, uh, you know, non-U.S. taxation. Uh, mm. you know, then the overall plans are, uh, are you know, are defeated. And so, 
uh, you know, that there should be some means by which that uh, the uh, the non-U.S. planner and the U.S. planner, uh, you know, are are you are able to discuss things with each other so, so that uh it could very well be that you know, the the client the taxpayer feels uh conversant enough to be able to coordinate those but ideally that you want the the tax professionals speaking with each other and mm-hmm. uh you and who are able to translate the concepts you know, uh back and forth to understand uh you know sort of you know you know possible impacts of one sets of plans against the other uh and again sort of having somebody uh who can uh you know who's you know who's in that position uh you know is uh you know is very important let's say let's say that's i think that's something that you uh something that you do well in particular thanks a lot for, appreciate that that vote of confidence but that, that's that's perfectly said that's very well said particularly the last point you made about understanding the jurisdiction from which the person is coming. Uh, that is that is that is key because you're right. Sometimes we've seen in so many cases there's a there's a tax team or there's a, a tax professional who is just focused on, you know, again, they stay in their lane. They know one thing, uh, which may be the US and they optimize for the US. And they're completely blind to the potentially adverse consequences and the other jurisdictions in which this person is exposed. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. I, I realize that this may be sort of jumping head in the, in the conversation. Yeah, sure. I'll give you, no, an, but good. I'll give, but I'll give, but I'll give you an example of the kind of thing when that is mm-hmm. that. You know, that uh, very often mm-hmm. the basis planning is, uh, you know, is part of the you know, planning. That's somebody who mm-hmm. is going to, you know, come to the, you know, to the U.S. and is going to subject themselves to worldwide taxation, worldwide reporting. At mm-hmm. that point, it's uh, that it's helpful to have, uh, you know, to have a uh, you know higher basis, something reflecting, say, current uh, recent appreciation in assets. And the question mm-hmm. is how you, you know, how you get there, and mm-hmm. there are a couple of ways to get there. One is with uh, you know, real transactions and the other is with uh, with certain tax elections provided you know that mm-hmm. the circumstances allow and so mm-hmm. look, that if you can you know, you know have it in, in uh uh you know, you know that if certain assets, certain businesses are being, uh, you know, held, uh, you know, in, uh, in a form that's treated one way for, uh, uh, for U.S. purposes and uh, another way for, you know, for non-U.S. purposes, uh, to the extent that you can make a U.S. election, uh, for instance, to have a particular entity that might be might default to corporate status as having liquidated under U.S. law, but mm-hmm. can, because it's solely a U.S. election, that's mm-hmm. something where that, again, sort of before the person becomes subject to U.S. worldwide taxation, that mm-hmm. that's an option. But you know, uh, but another type of planning that you see uh, is you know, where th- that, uh, it, you know, that if that something like that is not available, uh, mm-hmm. essentially trying to force a, a mark to, you know, to market by um, uh, by doing real things, which is that if you have a certain portfolio of stock, selling some some stock and buying other stock, uh, you know, that you, you know, for instance, that you uh, um, uh, you know, uh, that you sell Pfizer and buy Moderna, uh, or the, the other way around, uh, you know, and uh, but the thing is that those are real transactions, and so the question is, mm-hmm. well, how is the home country going to tax you as you do that, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is that where is that worth? Uh, you know, the uh, the U.S. basis step up, uh, mm-hmm. so you know that 
these are and and, uh, and you know, likewise, and it's something I uh, you know, you've run into real uh, real estate. Somebody has a mm. uh, you know portfolio of uh, uh, condominium units, and uh, you know cond and condominiums typically have more than one uh, you, know, uh, you know multiple units in the you know, in the uh, real estate development. So theoretically, that somebody mm. could sell one and buy the other. But again, you know that mm. uh, that's a real transaction that may have either home country uh you know effects uh and depending on the tax rates again may not be worthwhile uh you know, and particularly for real estate uh mm -hmm. site country uh effects and mm -hmm. so you know that uh you you have to decide whether or not that's uh, worthwhile and, and then for that matter uh that there may be certain assets that even though that you could uh, you affect that step up, uh, you know, by uh, you know, by having by engaging in certain you know transactions, sell one thing, buy the other. It may mm -hmm. be that the particular investment is sufficiently unique, um, mm -hmm. you know, where that there's no substitution. As uh, you know, if you uh, um, you know that if you sell Apple and buy Lenovo, uh, you know that you know, you know uh, there's nothing that's quite like Apple. So yeah. uh, you know the uh, uh, so the, you know that you know that there are you know business. Business investment, uh, mm -hmm. as well as non-U.S. tax considerations, you know that go into the planning, and it's always that. that uh, I think that you know something that. There's there is a kind of modesty that's helpful for uh, uh, you know to you know to see you know, to seek out in you know tax advisors, and that's to make sure that the tax tail doesn't mm -hmm. wag the business, you know, the investment, the real life mm -hmm. dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that that's a fair point. It's not just about tax optimization. There, there are bigger pictures. There's a bigger picture to consider, and and particularly. So I, I guess it's it's relatively easy for people who are coming from, uh, let's say, a low tax jurisdiction like Singapore, where I'm based, or Hong Kong, or the Middle East, the Emirates, Saudi. But if it is you're coming from a relatively high tax jurisdiction like Western Europe or uh latin america like brazil or argentina which you know they have notoriously complex tax system definitely 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 you want to have to your point these advisors need to sit talk to each other and coordinate yeah. right okay uh next question i mean obviously there's a lot involved from what we've been saying and uh, i know you said that hey you need to start as soon as possible but how far ahead should the the tax planning start ideally in an ideal way? Uh, as soon as I, I really would say, as soon as that there's an awareness of right. the, you know, of the potential life changes, and so mm -hmm. uh, you don't need to uh, uh, you know start at the at the phase of. You know, gee, it might be nice to move to the United States one day. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you find that you're engaging in serious planning for everything mm -hmm. else, uh, mm -hmm. you know that th you know, then it really is time to you know uh, you know to make plans for the for the U.S. tax planning. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, you know that uh, you know the, you know you know that's a question of when that you become aware that you're mm -hmm. actually serious about this decision, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh that the way that you know sort of people naturally sort of uh uh make any decision that they're you know that there's that there's a, a moment where people are sort of musing about things without even sort of realizing uh that they're considering the option but then there's a certain point well uh, you know when uh you know that say investigating things like uh you know things like you know uh, things like where to live uh things 
like uh uh you know sort of you know, you know, you know things like financial ar arrangements things like mm -hmm. uh uh things like how to uh you know you know how to you know, wrap up or close out uh you know, uh to you know, commitments uh in the home country that mm -hmm. there uh, there are certain signal things that uh, you know that i think should at least trigger an awareness uh mm -hmm. you know that things have come to a, uh you know sort of a level of seriousness mm -hmm. uh and so uh you know that it's you know that when things sort of you know, uh move from uh you know fantasy and speculation uh to concrete steps uh you know that that's when uh it's you know that you know somebody should be thinking about uh the tax as part of that yeah and you know it could be depending because everybody's situation is different right so if someone well a relatively simple financial situation maybe it's months but for someone with you know a, a more complex situation so we've had clients for example who were waiting in a, a big liquidity event with a startup that they're involved in southeast asia and perhaps they want to conclude that or the sale of a, of a relatively substantially priced asset they may want to put that transaction to bed before they become U.S. tax exposed. Or there are clients, for example, who are looking at complex structures, for example, certain trusts or PPLIs, uh, private placement life insurance policies, for which these things need to be structured even years in advance, a couple of years in advance. So, you know, I, I guess it varies with the complexity uh, of someone's uh, family situation and business situation as well right and uh you know as well as uh you know how potentially irreversible that the steps mm. are and mm. so you know that uh you know that and you know this sort of you know gets to again you know, questions about uh when somebody has a certain awareness of things because in that uh in the thing to f that i i cannot emphasize enough is mm -hmm. that uh you know, you know that making the decision to become a U.S. Uh, you know, you know, green card holder, which and the, the uh, uh, technical term is you know, permanent resident, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, or U.S. citizen, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that that's a decision you know, you know, that takes somebody from uh, uh, you, know, you know, from residence, you know, based and source based taxation, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to. Uh, uh, you you uh, you to uh, U.S. worldwide taxation, and it, it's, mm. that, so you, you note that with residents, uh, that that you know, re, you know, residents you know, is a trigger for worldwide taxation. But mm -hmm. the thing about residents is that that's something that can be switched on and off. Somebody can acquire mm. U.S. residence, somebody can mm -hmm. unacquire it. But the thing mm -hmm. about permanent residence status or u.s citizenship mm -hmm. is that once mm -hmm. that you have that uh mm -hmm. you that the steps of undoing that uh you are you know are quite uh you know, are quite arduous uh mm -hmm. and so you know, that uh you know, that it's uh going from sort of one uh uh you know, one major paradigm or gestalt uh to mm -hmm. a completely different one mm -hmm. mm. absolutely absolutely and and, and and again, yeah, we we see clients who are different ends of the spectrum. For example, someone coming on an L1 visa and into company transfer, where to your point, they do have control over it. You know, they just limit their time on U.S. soil, and they could to some extent control the exposure. On the other side of the spectrum, someone coming on a family visa, you know, for a spouse or uh, other close relative or an EB-5, EB-5s are quite popular. And then uh, once you become that lawful permanent resident, you're all in, right? And it's yeah. kind of, 
Yeah. The, and by the way, the, the, this is a moment to mention you know, something uh-huh. else, and and uh-huh. uh, this is something that I've uh, you, know, uh, you know that I've had you know sort of people come to me in, in various forms. I realize that you know, it's mm-hmm. it's psychologically a thing, and that mm-hmm. is that uh, whether or not that the uh, you know that the you know, stay in the U.S. is uh, you know is temporary or permanent, uh, mm-hmm. that once they that you have that there's U.S. residents. Mm-hmm. That there are certain disclosure requirements that start to kick in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and particularly with respect to uh, again, sort of jumping ahead, foreign mm-hmm. bank account reports. But there are also mm-hmm. such things as, uh, you know, as, as PFIC reporting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, you know, you know, you know, that there's uh, foreign asset reporting, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that. I've noticed that you know, that some people that, that uh, when they get you know, the questionnaires from you know from accountants, if the accountants that sort of vaguely know that some, you know, that uh, the rules exist, but they're not pressing very hard, they'll yeah. send over a questionnaire, and yeah. the person who's receiving it uh, may take the attitude of, well, this has to do with my life outside the United States. This is none of anybody's business, and yeah. you know then they if they mm-hmm. find you know that. They have a you know, prolonged exposure to the United States, and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that you know penalties are are you know at risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and problem you know with uh, you know that you're saying, well, it's you know, none of the United States business is that uh, mm-hmm. the is that the returns saying specifically ask about these items, and so if mm-hmm. you just, mm-hmm. that simply sort of casually do that, uh, mm-hmm. that is actually a willful failure. And there mm-hmm. are ways to you know, to have relief for non willful mistakes, things that where that you don't know. But mm-hmm. there's a difference between I didn't, you know, I don't, I never knew that you know that that was a question that needed to be answered versus mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was serious. Uh, I yeah. didn't know that you know, that yeah. they actually meant that. And mm-hmm. you know, while yeah. it gets a very human thing, you know, that you, you know that uh, I know that there that there are countries out there where people don't even think of uh, jaywalking, mm-hmm. but in, in, in most countries, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that they do. And so that uh, yeah. that there are plenty of places where people have a sense of well, that's you know that. Uh, uh, well, they say that there's a rule there, but nobody actually follows that rule, uh, mm-hmm. that, or that, or, or that that's you know that's no big deal. I'll just apologize for that later. Uh, but mm-hmm. that you know that there's certain things that again they don't seem like very much, uh, but they have uh, some real and lasting uh, uh, consequences to it. And then undoing it, it was it was really hard. It's something that is just a really distressing thing is mm-hmm. seeing you know, somebody come to the United States with uh, a not very sort of large. You know, you know, bank account like you know, maybe fifty thousand. Maybe that reflects uh, some years of, of of savings. But that because you know that mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know that when you know that the question came on the return, that mm-hmm. you, know, you know that they said, well, this is not anybody's you know, business. Uh, you know that uh, you know that. Uh, uh, you know, you know that uh, you know, nobody could possibly be interested in this. You know mm-hmm. that then to have it where that uh, you know as you know, again that there's you know, that there's uh, uh, you know a need to you know to really ensure compliance. That there's no good way you mm-hmm. know, out. That you know that uh, it doesn't involve essentially that bank account being wiped out. 
And mm-hmm. I hate to see uh, you know, somebody's you know, hard-earned savings, particularly when mm-hmm. those savings aren't very much. You know, mm-hmm. that if somebody has say only fifty thousand savings, you know, mm-hmm. that also probably means you know that mm-hmm. it was a real struggle to get to that point. And you hate mm-hmm. to see somebody essentially lose their bottom dollar. And that's the thing mm-hmm. I really hate to see the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, you know that uh, in, 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 as I say, most people who are considering planning probably have a good deal more income than that. But still, if there, if there are people who uh, mm-hmm. you know, are uh, you know coming to the United States and coming with uh, you know that uh, you know more than nothing, but not a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that uh, you know, that they you know that they're absolutely um, mm-hmm. absolutely pristine you know in mm-hmm. the uh, in the compliance because that th- that there's no reason to subject uh, you know that really hard earned hard saved you know, sort of money that is like the that's the emergency fund to see that uh, put at risk. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I guess that brings us to the you know why we're here to stress the importance of pre-immigration tax planning. So I'll share how we approach it. So what I do is uh, I do a consult with a client and in advance, I ask them to prepare like a balance sheet, basically list everything you have, everything you have. I just want a complete comprehensive one. And then we go through it uh, in detail, line by line. And then we talk through, okay, these are the US tax consequences. Uh, Should you progress and should you become U.S. taxes? Well, this is what's going to happen. And we talk them through, you know, identify the P-fix or, or whatever. And then having done that, you know, for each particular line item, then they may be comfortable with the task consequence, in which case no action is required, or they may be uncomfortable. So in which case we need to look at mitigation strategies, you know, uh, you know, gifting, restructuring, et cetera, as the case may be. And some clients may even go a bit further and they say, okay, this is my situation right now. Could you model what a tax return would look like? And then we actually model, let's pretend you, you move to New York, for example, this is what your federal uh, state city, your, your federal local, you know, everything would look like. So this would be a potential liability if you did nothing. And so then we can enter into discussion as to what your options are. And, you know, it's, this is, a, sometimes it can be a highly specialized area. So we can, so for example, this morning I was introducing a client to a trustee, you know, so someone who can help them with a, a foreign trust, because that's something that they want to take for. That's not something we do. So we can point out what the options are, but if they want to take a deeper dive or explore it further or actually uh, implement it, we can introduce them to professionals who, who, could, who can help them sort that out. That's how we do it. How do you generally engage clients with pre-immigration tax planning? Oh well, likewise, you know, that I also like to start with mm-hmm. a consultation. I will tell you that yeah. I'm sufficiently busy that uh, I require that consultations be paid consultations. That you that you know time does you know that time doesn't hang heavy on my hands. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, mm-hmm. but then you know, you know that you know after the consultation, you know, making a determination of whether or not there's that there's something more to be done very often that somebody will you know, uh, will want a consultation and be like well but they're not ready to make decisions yet uh mm-hmm. you know they'll they'll think about what i've said they'll think about you know so given uh the issues and exposures that you know that, that i've mentioned whether or not they even sort of you know, want to have that kind of exposure to the united states uh 
because it may very well be that there are things that they can do in their lives uh, without you know subjecting themselves to worldwide U.S. taxation. Uh, again, so if, you know, it's a real decision that there are real life considerations uh, that go in, such as whether that there's a business that absolutely has to be run from the United States, whether you know, that uh, for reasons of uh, you know family safety that you know, that they have to be in the United States, or you know, that uh, may be highly aspirational that where that they don't mm. you know care what the costs are that they just really want to be here uh mm-hmm. you know, and uh you know, the, the americans criticize mm-hmm. you know, themselves you know, quite a bit and criticize other americans quite a bit but there are you know, still quite a few people who really do want to be here on the mm-hmm. other hand you know that Every, there isn't that same level of need, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, commitment, desire that it may be that there are other ways, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that they can have, uh, you know, access to things in the United States without subjecting themselves to worldwide. So it starts with that consultation. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, that it could very well be sort of an immediate process of going to, uh, you, know, you know, of considering other matters. If that, if it's considering, uh, you know, uh, you know, estate planning, uh, mm-hmm. that have colleagues, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, at you know, at my firm, and I know, mm-hmm. uh, I know colleagues, other places, uh, mm-hmm. that engage in cross-border, uh, estate tax planning. It could mm-hmm. very well involve, uh, you know, a combination of, uh, you know, you know, tax planning and corporate transactions, and I, there are people who I work with in that. So you know that uh, that there are decisions that need to be made about what needs to be done next. And who should mm-hmm. be doing those things? So mm-hmm. that generally is my approach. Mm. Okay, fantastic. So I'm going to skip the next question because we kind of touched on that again uh, already. So I'll just jump to the question on PFIX. So generally speaking, I mean, you know, definitely people who have, you know, substantial investments and they're looking to move to the US, they'd have definitely been, at least they should have heard about PFIX, what they are and what the implications are. So could you talk to us a bit about what they are and potentially what can be done to mitigate against them? Well, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, that one, you know, PFIX are, you know, there's, uh, you know, and stands for, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know you know, passive or you know, personal you know, foreign investment company, but basically, uh, you know, that any time that you have a uh, non-U.S. Uh, you know, an interest is any an interest in any percentage uh, mm-hmm. in a non-U.S. corporation that is not engaged in active trader business, says it's not like mm-hmm. investing, you know, say, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, it's not like, in, you know, investing in uh, uh, Mercedes on the, uh, uh, you know, on, on the German stock market, says that, uh, you know, or for that matter, even an operating, uh, you know, business, uh, you know, in France, rather that mm-hmm. instead, you know, that, you know, assets are, um, you know, the, you know, that it's you know that we're dealing with seventy five percent passive assets or fifty fifty percent passive income, uh, you know, and uh, you know that uh, so that you know what at one time has been you know had been called, and mm-hmm. I think that it was called at the very beginning of the PFIC legislation, incorporated pocketbooks, but basically mm-hmm. uh, you know incorporated investment portfolios, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, you know, and uh, there are a number of ways in which people may you know may very well you know you have such things, and uh, some mm-hmm. of these uh, sort of may be more you know more amenable to planning than others. And so, for mm-hmm. instance, uh, that if it's something where that you're coming to the United States and that you can 
you know, you know, sort of change how that you know, how how that you hold uh, these assets and sort of you know move them from uh, some uh, some kind of foreign holding, uh, you know, to say uh, you know direct or through a U.S. vehicle, uh, you know that that's planning that you know that's worthwhile to do. Uh, but there's actually, uh, I've 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 actually seen that there's far less knowledge in the United States, even among practitioners, than there should be, mm-hmm. and I've seen uh, you. Know, uh, and uh, uh, and one of the really mm-hmm. sort of tough cases that I'm working with, I'm not going to name uh, this firm. It's a, a, a second tier uh, mm-hmm. accounting firm. I say second tier, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, sort of talk, you know, saying that there's a U.S. ranking of like this is the best accounting firm, rather mm-hmm. that there's you know, you know that there's a tier of uh, yeah. whether you know, you know the big four, which are you know, PwC, right. KPMG. Uh, Ernst and Young and Deloitte, and then there are a whole yeah. bunch of major accounting firms mm-hmm. below that still have global reach, and mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, you know, saw, you know, saw the case of one particular uh, you know uh, you know client who was a family that came from uh, a you know, country in in Western Europe to the United mm-hmm. States. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a portfolio for a disabled child, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, the and uh, they've, and they've been here for more than ten years, twenty years, and then mm-hmm. finding out that uh, you know that this uh, you know that this firm had mm-hmm. never been filing PFIC returns, mm-hmm. and uh, and and uh, and uh, you know, and and just the the mess that that is, uh, you know, and the thing is that you know uh, uh, that there's no way to go back retroactively twenty years. I've actually. <laughs> I've, I've looked into this. I've had conversations with the IRS, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I and I simply don't think that you know that it, you know it can be done. And uh, maybe that there's somebody else out there who's actually gotten the IRS to accept going back 20 years. But my conversation <laughs> with IRS counsel, uh, you know, says is you know rejected that. Uh, you and you and so uh, you know that. Uh, there are things that can be uh, done to sort of you know, mitigate impacts uh, mm-hmm. involving you know, involving PFIC elections. They, which are best done again the moment mm-hmm. that somebody's coming over because at least it, it can be mm-hmm. what's called a uh, you know pedigreed uh, you mm-hmm. know, PFIC, which means that it doesn't have uh, this kind of uh, a certain kind of built-in you know built-in gain that mm-hmm. uh you know then is, is taxed at uh you know at, at interest rates when they're you know the mm-hmm. when uh was finally sold and mm-hmm. there are ways of um uh you know having it that you know that uh you know, you know that you know, there's uh you know you know that there's at least Current taxation, which you know, that mm-hmm. would seem not to be desirable, except it's still better than this these interest charge PFIX, mm-hmm. and you know so that there are these things called qualifying electing funds that mm-hmm. if they provide information you know, in a certain way that it permits uh, essentially the taxation on a transparent basis uh, mm-hmm. of of these corporate vehicles, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that again that it's you know, that it's it may you know seem like it's an immediate hit but over the long run you know that it works uh you know a second best thing is mark to market uh Mm -hmm. you know uh, which that when you have assets that at least are publicly traded uh in the jurisdiction Mm -hmm. in which that they're issued they Mm -hmm. have some options for that uh but that it's much better if that's again sort of starting 
from the beginning than mm-hmm. having to you know, to go back and uh, uh, you know potentially uh, uh, recognize a chunk is uh, you know is having you know having an interest charge uh, mm-hmm. you know that there are issues about classification of um, uh, classification of gain uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know and so again qualifying electing fund is you know is you know is best uh, but mark to market at least is something that's better than uh, the default re- regime which is the interest charge regime and again that requires some advanced planning and if, again that there are sophisticated firms out there that you would think that would be on on top of this uh, mm-hmm. you know but I think that you know, unless that there's somebody who really is acting as an advocate for the international issues, mm-hmm. uh, that you know, very often that uh, you know, somebody will you know, sort of you know, send over a uh, uh, you know, send over a questionnaire, and uh, you know, mention one circumstance where you know that the, uh, you know, that the recipient uh, decides, oh, I don't want to answer this. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, but there are also circumstances where that the recipient uh, is so overwhelmed that they're like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I can't answer everything. I'm just gonna you know, email you mm-hmm. and tell you everything that there is, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, and uh, you know, you know, and it, you know, that uh, and it really mm-hmm. takes you know either you know, that the uh, you know the CPA the tax advisor who's engaged to focus on asking and you know, really asking uh, you know, are there international holdings or if that there's an international advisor who's uh, you know who's been part of this making sure that everybody knows. This all mm-hmm. has to be done, uh, but you know that there's a uh, uh, you know that uh, there's a real passivity that can set in mm-hmm. among uh, you know people who, uh, frankly, are sort of paid too much to be that passive. Yeah, those those are really important points to note. You know, the idea that the U.S. tax code is huge; it's absolutely huge. And some people, you know, I have arguments with my colleagues internationally. And, you know, some people say Brazil is more complex and they go back and forth, but it's really huge. So no one person knows everything. So you go to a pretty reputable tax firm, whether it's a second tier, but I haven't had experience with top tier, you know, the big four, like you call them. But depending on which partner, which associate, something goes to, you know, whoever you're dealing with, if they don't know international tax, things are going to get messed. So you really need to be dealing with personnel in that firm who knows the international tax issues Mm. inside out. Mm. A a second point that you, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say also in those firms that you get some real siloing where that you have departments yeah. that don't talk with each other. Yeah. And that so somebody sort of yeah. thinks, all right, if this thing has come to me, well, there, there's some other department that would have already dealt with the international issues. Uh, and yeah. so, uh, you know, that that's not something that you, they mm. need to think about, that they need to they sort of chase down. Mm. Uh, you know, somebody else thought about these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you, know, you know, that, uh, uh, again, that there's a certain type of lethargy, uh, you know, that you know, that sort of the more bureaucratic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the firm, sort of the less, uh, the less initiative that there is, and mm-hmm. you know that, and uh, uh, and and so that you know, while that you sort of you know, have this expectation, all right, if they're paying uh, top dollar, that I get people who uh, mm-hmm. who are really sort of actively thinking, uh, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, and another point that you raised that, that I, I wanted to, you know, emphasize is the idea of this questionnaire or an organizer. And if for most people coming from another relatively simpler jurisdiction, they are completely unaccustomed to it. 
And when we as, you know, international tax professionals say, okay, yeah, definitely let's work together. Here's the stuff we need to know. And they see this relatively long list of questions. It's like, you know, what's going on here? And they, you know, they try to, honestly, they try to circumvent it because, you know, these are busy people and they have other things to do and they're making big decisions and they don't have time to do it. And, but if, unfortunately it could come with adverse consequences. I have, you know, on our mm. website, we have like over 2000 articles, over a thousand videos on our YouTube channel. One of the cases that I was mentioning on our website is this, this uh, relatively established uh, accounting firm in California. Uh, you know, it's it's in the public domain, so it, it's it's nothing you know that it, that should we we shouldn't reference. But the point is that partners in the firm are in trouble because they had a relatively a high profile. What we what we would call in our business a PEP, a politically exposed person from a certain jurisdiction, who is you know definitely ultra high net worth, and when you know he didn't disclose certain assets overseas and. When the IRS investigation proceeded, it was found, you know, he he basically pointed his fingers at the firm and said, and, you know, and, and the firm defending itself, we recognized that there was an issue with the organizer. He didn't want to fill it out. So the firm kind of filled out part of it and sent it to him to check. And he said he didn't really look at it and it went back and forth. So it really is important for, for those who may be coming into the U.S. tax system to you know, to really sit down, take your time, and answer all the questions posed. And uh, and again, just uh, another point that I wanted to support you on when you were kind of giving a sense for you know what the PFIC issues would be. A PFIC, generally speaking, is a designation that was coined in some tax reform in the 1980s under President Reagan. The U.S. domestic financial institutions were complaining that hey, people were investing overseas because there were certain tax advantages to doing to them doing so. And, and as a response, Congress uh, helped the IRS create this PFIC designation. And so it is really a wide net, that, that's my point. So we see foreign retirement funds, foreign pension funds, something that, you know, you may think, oh, there's a treaty and it won't be covered. No, you know, sometimes foreign pension funds are designated as PFICs. We see frequently insurance policies, Lots of uh, unit trusts, it's called in certain jurisdictions, UK, Ireland, other common law jurisdictions. So many basically collective investment vehicles, as well as uh, passive companies, as you mentioned, there's a 75%, 50% rule. Any structure where, you know, more than 75% of the revenue, 50% of the assets that generate revenue. You know, so it's, it's a really wide net. So I think to your point, it's really important to sit at the table with your advisors and go through everything to make sure that no stone is left unturned. And to your point that you don't live in the US and decades later it's like, oh my gosh, I forgot, I didn't know. I'm in a whole heap of trouble. And so, so, so yeah. So just going through the, the list of questions we have because we have quite a bit to consider and cover. I'm gonna skip the next one because you did talk about basis step up in, in one of your previous comments. Uh, I'll just jump to the one after that about trust and foundations. Everybody watches movies <laughs> and everybody's on Netflix, right? And there's this perception or this idea, you know, that there's such a thing as a trust and you just set up this magical thing and all your tax problems just poof, they just go away. 
So, you know, I, 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 that's my experience. You know, people just, you know, they get on calls, you know, just like you and sit some paid concept. I really don't have time for freebies as well. And so part of their opening salvo, can you tell me about a trust? I heard that that's going to solve all my problems. What, what is your experience dealing with uh, trusted uh, foundations with uh, pre-immigration planning? And how uh, do you how do you advise around that? All right. Uh, the, the, the thing that you mentioned before, I, you know, I don't deal with uh, you know, uh, gift and estate you know, taxation, so okay. I deal very little you know, with trust. Okay. I, I right. simply yeah. don't have an awareness that if they mm-hmm. exist and if that they're cross-border gifts, yeah. uh, you know, that uh, there's going to be sort of you know, significant uh, mm-hmm. you know, U.S. reporting requirements. Mm-hmm. And so the mm-hmm. thing that I would simply caution is that uh, mm-hmm. you know, that what you know, that uh, it's you know be aware that uh, that that reporting is serious because the penalties mm-hmm. uh, you know, for non-compliance uh, can mm-hmm. be quite you know, can be quite substantial. And so uh, you know that you know, that uh, I actually sort of you know dealt with a case where that mm-hmm. uh, actually this really sort of wasn't the you know the, you know, the taxpayers uh, you know you know fault the uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know that uh, this was a, a taxpayer who's living in a um, uh, uh, you know, a country somewhere in the Pacific. I will not say, uh, uh, you know, where, but where that there's a, a local advisor, uh, you know, who's you know saying, uh, you know, don't worry about when you can get the information to me. If we have to file late, uh, we'll, we'll file late rather than uh, sort of pushing. Let's get the information that we have. Let's file at least mm-hmm. something and amend. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if the uh, uh, if you know, that there's additional information, uh, and where that you know, as a result uh, you know, of those continued late filings and mm-hmm. of uh, uh, so, so leading the uh, you know the taxpayer on sort of on a garden path, you know that there were uh, you know close to half a million dollars in penalties. It's a wrangle with the uh, uh, with the IRS about, and that while I've you know gotten those down significantly, uh, you know that uh, there's still you know a, you know a nasty chunk that had to be paid, and uh, I'm still sort of trying to uh, you know claw some of that you know some of that back. Uh, mm-hmm. There have been some interesting cases, uh, you know, recently uh, that have been have gone against the IRS in, in this area that have given practitioners uh, some tools. Uh, mm-hmm. But still, again, the thing that I want to emphasize is that uh, you know that yeah that uh, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, that. Putting the, you know, things in a trust isn't. It doesn't mean that you know, then you know goes away and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and disappears. Uh, mm-hmm. You know anything that's going to be valid in the United States, uh, you know that uh, is going to you know require significant reporting. And mm-hmm. let's say that really you know, just to watch for those uh, for reporting, uh, particularly on items that don't necessarily uh, you know have an income component to them. And so mm-hmm. uh, that it's sort of very easy to, to think well. Uh, all right, that you know, this isn't generating income, so this is not something that the IRS is going to be mm. interested in. Whereas yeah. that's actually the, the the statute works the other way around, which yeah. is that that since that there's no means of picking up tax penalties on this because there's no additional tax, and we, we were very concerned about people sort of stashing money, uh, you know, overseas, uh, you know, and uh, not reporting income from it later. That we're going to impose uh, these gargantuan penalties for the uh, you know for failures of, of reporting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and then you know that and the, you know, and these are statutes that have uh, uh, that have enabled this. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, you know that uh, you know that th- th- this is something 
very significantly to you know to keep in mind. So I'm not going to uh, you know advise about uh, you know mm-hmm. how trust should be used. Uh, yeah, I do uh, I do deal with tax exempt matters, and so mm-hmm. advise, mm-hmm. for instance, on private foundations versus uh, public charities. But mm-hmm. again, the, the you know, point that I'll, I'll make is that uh, you know that you know, particularly with respect to reporting uh, of non-U.S. assets, uh, you know that uh, the penalties can really mount up, and uh, mm-hmm. and and, and, so, it's, and to put in some further context, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that the United you know, that U.S. lawmakers are really unsympathetic in this you know, yeah. in, in this area because they yeah. feel as though well yeah. you know that uh if that these are you know sort of you know uh whether that's you know non-citizens who don't vote or uh you know mm-hmm. sort of uh, really wealthy people uh who've been holding money overseas uh mm-hmm. that unless that the that the uh, lawmakers are uh, getting contributions from uh, from those people specifically that they you know, think all right the penalties are, are kind of uh you know free revenue uh, that they don't have to uh, acquire by uh, uh, by imposing taxes generally, which would be uh, unpopular. They can say uh, we're just imposing penalties on those really rich bad people, uh, and uh, you know, so uh, you know, that you have to be very careful about inadvertently stepping into a category where that uh, there are people who have uh, assumed the worst about you because they have a financial incentive to assume mm-hmm. the worst about you. Right. And and that's an important point that you raised that, you know, I, I tell clients this all the time that when it comes to the U.S. tax code, is it's a bit counterintuitive. You think it's about revenue collection, but a lot of the code, especially on the international side, it's really about disclosure and data and, you know, providing uh, basically everything that they require is super important. And we know that the IRS seems to value disclosure over payments because of the penalties. When you look at the penalties for not disclosing foreign investments, foreign assets, especially foreign financial assets, they are pretty, you know, pretty aggressive compared <laughs> to, you know, not paying your taxes. But uh, just basically to speak to your point, the other point you raised on uh, on trust, I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, generally speaking, all the, the so-called loopholes that you see on movies, they have to a large extent been like decades ago this is like it's it's really for hollywood leave that behind what trusts are really about is asset protection and probate avoidance and and you know we probably as you said we won't get into that in detail here and we've we've had several articles on our website on trust versus foundation the trust is more or less a relationship quite common in common law jurisdictions so uh former british colonies and you have foundations that uh, really are more popular in civil law jurisdictions, uh, particularly Europe and, and certain parts of Asia and South America, Latin America especially. So, you know, those are tools uh, that one must use sparingly and you'd probably want to definitely have uh, a detailed uh, consult with someone who understands because they, they, the implications on both sides, both where they, the assets are held outside of the U.S. and within the U.S. could be pretty extensive in addition to which there's some jurisdictions that don't recognize it so for example there are many civil law jurisdictions that haven't signed the the requisite convention so they simply don't recognize trust for example you know we find that with with spain and portugal so you know Uh, so go ahead Mm -hmm. oh and by the way and there actually is a, a true 
good faith theoretical you know, foundation to uh, requiring all of the uh, disclosures. So I mentioned okay, yeah. like the, some of the self-interested uh, you know, things from the U.S. point of view about uh, you know, uh, really unsympathetic targets and penalties, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, uh, but uh, there is an actual public policy that's involved, and the, mm-hmm. the public policy you know, is that if you have uh, U.S. people who are uh, whether from you know investments or from active businesses earning considerable amounts overseas. Uh, the mm-hmm. thing that you don't want uh, uh, from a U.S. point of view is that, uh, you know, if they just sort of you know, you know, stash the money, you know, in a trust and then at some point later, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, well, uh, actually, the, a lot of it should be pay, you know, paid currently, but even to the extent that it doesn't need to be paid currently, the money just starts to show mm-hmm. up in the in the U.S., uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you and because you know, that is uh, deemed to be a gift or something else, uh, that uh, uh, somehow that you know, it avoids taxes, and so uh, you know that you know, by tracking where you know, that you know, money is you know, is being uh, is being kept, uh, you know, that you know, then that when it shows up in the United States, then for instance, uh, when it buys assets in the United States, you know that there's a that there's a history to it, uh, so. Um, uh, you know that. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, you know that. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, that's why that. Uh, it, you know, it's a, you know, it's an important thing to, uh, you know, to track. Right, and so I'm gonna skip the next question again because we've kind of touched on that and jump into our tenth question. So, how does having substantial holdings in foreign companies? impacted by U.S. taxes. We already talked about PFIC, so maybe you can talk a bit about having substantial holdings in foreign operating companies. Well, I think you know, that uh, this starts to get to uh, such things as uh, controlled foreign corporations, mm-hmm. and you know that uh, uh, you know, and you know, the, you know, the principle is that uh, you uh, that uh, if that there's a corporation in which that is more than 50% owned by mm-hmm. uh, U.S. shareholders. And U.S. shareholders is a particular definition. Uh, mm-hmm. U.S. shareholders, uh, a U.S. shareholder for this purposes is a uh, U.S. person uh, who owns uh, you know, 10% of uh you know, of that you know foreign corporation so that if you have mm-hmm. for instance uh, a thousand completely unrelated u.s holders of a foreign corporation the foreign corporation has a real business basically mm-hmm. you know, a thousand u.s investors in uh uh you know in in uh, uh in pfizer and you know in uh, in germany uh that's not going to trigger these rules but it's that when you have that you know the, uh, uh a you know, small numbers, you know, such that that you know, figure uh, five or, or fewer. That's how you get to the uh, you know the fifty percent uh, you know U.S. shareholders uh, that uh, you know you know that then you know, again that there are concerns about uh, U.S. people essentially receiving income, having control of income, uh, and uh, and and uh, without uh, you know without being taxed on it. And for years and years, as long as you know that you know, income was active, that wasn't you know taxable in the U.S. And that it was this category of subpart F income, which is passive mm-hmm. income plus income from certain related party transactions, plus income that had certain uh, you, know, you know taints of foreign illegality. That these had to be immediately you know, reported in tax in the United States, but everything else could mount up, uh, and. Uh, but the law was changed in 2017 
Mm. It was such that all those amounts that had been built up were subject to a transition tax uh, that was, uh, you, know, uh, you know, if I remember the numbers right, it's like you know, it's sort of eight, like eight percent on uh, you know, on uh, illiquid assets and like seventeen percent on uh, uh, you know on liquid assets, but it's a uh, a lower percent than you know than usual. Uh, and as but that you know that was sort of in exchange for that uh, going for you know that you know all of this previously untaxed income or previously taxed deferred income was you know then finally being caught up and now uh you know that there are two categories of income that flow through uh so subpart f will get again this uh, passive or disfavored income uh and then uh you know at the other end uh you know is uh it was what's called uh, you guilty income which is a really awkward uh <laughs> acronym for it uh yeah. but it's global intangible low tax income uh yeah. and which yeah. itself is based on economic concepts as the concept being that uh mm-hmm. you, know, that, you know, that you know that this is uh you know, after the calculations that you know that you know that this is uh that this somehow gets it you know, uh an income you know, that is derived from uh uh the you know, the value of uh, of intellectual property, but really that it's just about any kind of you know income uh you know that is uh you know that's not uh that's not subpart F. And so most things is sort of pass through. There's mm-hmm. certain you know, exceptions uh that have to do with um for instance with taxation in high tax uh uh your jurisdictions but you know that uh, you know, it, uh but the operating assumption should be that uh you know, that now all you know, income of a of a controlled foreign corporation you know that it's all going to have uh it's it's all going to have somewhere taxation somebody is going to tax it at uh you know, at developed country uh uh you know, rates Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, and so uh, that's now the thing to you know, to be aware of. Mm, absolutely. So I mean, the, again, to your point, some people fail to realize when you have uh, when you become that U.S. person, you're going to be taxed on your worldwide income, and you have to disclose your worldwide investments as well. So part of that disclosure is, as 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 you pointed out, if you have you know ten percent or more. In in a, in a foreign company, it at least requires disclosure. And once you cross that fifty percent uh, as a controlled foreign corp, either on your own or by virtue of investing with other U.S. exposed shareholders, there may be actually taxes to pay, assuming that you're in a lower tax jurisdiction. Uh, so so yeah, definitely definitely something to consider. And people coming from other jurisdictions, you know, they, they kind of, you know, the questions that I get through at me would be like, well, you know, hold on. Uh, it's not, yes, it's mine, but I hold it through some sort of nominee structure, which is pretty common in certain parts of the world to use nominee structure. But the IRS, you know, is, you know, they've caught on to that decades ago because they have specified it's not just share value, but share value and voice. So even right. if you don't, uh, if, if you're not an equity partner, if it's a debt stake or using a nominee, Still, there may be the disclosure requirements, and uh, you know, and and certain other structures that may not technically be a company may just fall into these rules. And and here we talk about foundations and other sort of civil law structures, which also require disclosure. So, so the point is that you know, when you speak with your preferred advisor, you put 
everything on the table and you know you go through them one by one just to make sure that nothing is being missed. Uh, so you, right. you spoke uh, about the overseas rental portfolio. Sorry, just running through the questions because we're not even halfway through yet. So we spoke, you, you touched on rentals and definitely that needs to be touched, that, that needs to be disclosed. But number 13, tax treaties. So obviously, you know, people sometimes they do you know they spend some time in Google, they see that you know double tax treaties exist. But could you talk a bit about the how tax treaties work at the state level? Because you know, under certain uh, uh, circumstances, it could lead to double taxation. Uh, uh, well, but, all right. Yeah. So the the, the, mm -hmm. the thing that I would that uh, I actually was in a bar association uh, okay. uh, tax committee conversation about that, and mm -hmm. that there's considerable disagreement about okay. to what extent. You know that uh, the uh, tax treaties operate at the state level. Uh, okay. You know that look, okay. it, it happens to be my view that mm -hmm. uh, at least you know that if it's the kind of if that if the state has the kind of tax that's covered at the federal level, so state income tax, you know, uh, in federal tax, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. that the tax treaty ought to cover that. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know that uh, there are people who take the position that. Know that the state uh, is a separate uh, sovereign. Uh, that the United mm -hmm. States has a dual sovereignty uh, system, and mm -hmm. so uh, that if the state doesn't have its own rules that say that they defer to the treaty, you know that the state you know, doesn't. Mm -hmm. I I uh, I still think that it, that it has that has to be an incorrect uh, you know view. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that there's something there is something called the Foreign Commerce Clause, but uh, mm -hmm. you know that you, it shouldn't be taken for granted. Uh, mm -hmm. You know that. That states will follow. Uh, that states will follow federal on the treaty, and mm -hmm. that there may be states that have a, an aggressive position. And so, mm -hmm. uh, that you simply just sort of need to start asking questions about uh, whichever state that uh, uh, you know, whichever state that you know that you're doing business in or starting a life in, mm -hmm. whether or not that you know that state is going to uh, is is going to follow if that there are risks you know, in that. Uh, if it's an advanced uh, situation, something where that you have uh, some advanced knowledge uh, mm -hmm. you know, and that the state is silent about it, I might mm -hmm. even consider trying to get a ruling from the state authorities that mm -hmm. they follow the federal. And mm. so that you know, that there uh, that there's planning that can be done at the state level in terms of requesting rulings, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I have a couple of them in process with uh, with New York, uh, and uh, uh, you know so you know, that you know, that so so uh, that. Uh, uh, what I'd say is that you know this is a lot more involved. And I'd say that when you deal with states like New York, California, Massachusetts, uh, you know New Jersey too, that have uh, you know some real you know, substantial uh, tax rates, uh, you know that uh, you know that this starts to matter. Uh, so uh, so I guess that we're at the you know the one hour mark. How how are we doing for things? <laughs> we're we're good. So. Uh, I mean, that, first of all, th that's an important point that when you engage in pre-immigration tax planning, you have to talk about state. You know, it's useless. You know, you have, you, you're spending a lot of time, all the effort focus on federal and then, you know, you get screwed at the state level. So and especially when you as someone coming into the U.S., maybe you have some discretion over where you go. So at least be informed about what your options are. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge what you said, because I think that's important to acknowledge. I'm going to skip over the next few questions about gift and estate taxes, because 
uh, as we mentioned in the beginning, you know, that that is not your uh, that's not your area of focus. And, you know, and it reminds me, as you, as you said, that when uh, when I was at NYU and the, the professor said that, you know, all the areas of tax, you know, Gibson estates have the highest rates of litigation and dispute. So it is it is a very specialized area and it is potentially very contentious. And you're right. So there are tax professionals who focus on that. And especially where it's, you know, more than one jurisdiction involved. When it's the U.S. alone, it's it's difficult. But when you have the U.S. and some other jurisdiction, uh, again, we've seen cases where you optimize for one jurisdiction and you get screwed in the other. I mean, right. uh, it, it, and it's not, and, and, and what makes it even more complex is that it's largely not codified. So it really is about going through lots of case law. And when there's situations where the jurisdictions class, so for example, you have something in the U.S., uh, you know, a, a certain arrangement that should lead to a certain effect from a, a gift on a state tax point of view, and it clashes with a jurisdiction like France or Spain, where you have forced airship rules. Yeah. And so, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I, with respect to the uh, you know, the you know, state taxation, uh, mm-hmm. you know that uh, uh, you know you know, pun very much intended, I mean, the, you know, that the, the you know, that the rules can be literally all over the map. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that uh, you know, that in, it's in, not just that every state is is different, but also that you know, how every state comes to its sets of rules are, is different. Mm-hmm. So it could mm-hmm. be uh, case law in some states, but it could you know, that uh, you could be looking for administrative pronouncements in other states. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could you, know, you could be looking for uh, uh, you know that for uh, uh, you, know, you know for advanced you know, for advanced rulings, and so mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know that it's not it's not just that the states are uniform it's mm-hmm. that even the sources of authority are not mm-hmm. uniform in those states in yeah. the, you know, those states <laughs> that, that that's a fantastic point when it comes to gift in a state it's not just contentious at the federal level at the state level as well and then you you throw on that the idea that someone is exposed to other jurisdictions as well you have a smorgasbord. board you have a real you know you have a real situation to decipher and you know so definitely that warrants special attention you know if you're the stage of your life where you should be always conscious of the fact that you need to plan for the next generation and you know how do you want assets you know distributed in the unfortunate event of your you know your, your, your demise or you become incapacitated you know how how th- should things be be treated and then in many other jurisdictions, gifting isn't a big issue, but in U.S., gifting is a big issue. So the point is, I guess the takeaway is, it is an area that warrants special focus and, and special attention. So I'm going to skip through that. Uh, what about when, you know, we've, we cases where, you know, of course, some of the family moves to the U.S., so I'm jumping down to question 18 now. So some of the family moves to the U.S., but not all of the families. So you still have family outside of the U.S., right? And then, you know, you in the U.S. pass away. And then we have, and, and this is stuff that I get every week. I have like two or three uh, prospects coming in the door every week. So, you know, there's some relatives that's passed and they are set to inherit uh, normally a financial asset, normally from some sort of brokerage account. And they approach the brokerage account, hey, you know, person's passed away. 
uh, here's the documents. And then the brokerage account says, well, you know, we need an IRS transfer certificate, 5173. Uh, you need to file a tax return, an estate tax return. Uh, is that something you encounter? Uh, that, again, that this gets the world of gifted estate, which I oh, okay. frankly don't do, do not touch. <laughs> No problem at uh, all. Yeah, that, so. that, when, when, I, when I when I stay in my lane, I stay in my lane. <laughs> no problem at all. So anybody who is interested in, in hearing more about that, we have some really interesting articles on our website. Just set Google five one seven three or seven six any. It is something that it happens all the time, and we find, you know, especially where proper planning has not been done, it puts the the beneficiary family members in a quite an onerous situation because the taxes need to be paid in advance of the funds being released from the u.s brokerage account so uh, again we we have many articles on that as well as other videos on it if you want to take a deeper dive into that so right. uh fbars so question 19 could you talk to us about fbars well i the basic rule of fbars is yeah. in that uh you know, th- you know that if anybody has uh, you know, foreign bank accounts that mm-hmm. uh, at any time during the year have mm-hmm. exceeded, uh, and this is on a cumulative basis, so it can be th- you know, three accounts together, but mm-hmm. you know, exceeded ten thousand uh, mm-hmm. dollars, you know that uh, you know that you know that there's a required filing. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, this is an information filing. It's not. It didn't even originate under the Internal Revenue Code. It originated in something called the Bank Secrecy Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the, over the course of time, uh, the enforcement has been transferred over to the IRS. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a whole hi- you know, history to it that sort of, uh, you know, starting with, you know, originally this concerns about terrorism, and then, uh, you know, and you know, then uh, some of the uh, foreign, uh, you know, uh, you know, some of the, you know, some of the foreign planning that went on at UBS, uh, you know, that came to light around the mm-hmm. time of the uh, having to come to life at the same time as the whole uh, uh, Lehman debacle. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, that the upshot of which is that uh, the enforcement mm-hmm. came over to, you know, to the IRS. Mm-hmm. And so that there are these uh, you know, penalties, which uh, can be, uh, uh, you know, you know, can be 10,000 uh, know, per year uh, for you know, non-willful filings, uh, you know, not for, for, not for, for non-willful you know, failures to file, mm-hmm. and that you know, can you know, become even larger uh, for uh, you know, failures that are not non-willful. Uh, again, it, you know, it happens that there are ways to fix you know, non-willful, uh, mm-hmm. that there are various types of dis- of uh, of delinquent disclosure programs that are uh, available. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, the thing that uh, you, you know that uh, that doesn't pass muster, you know, is uh, where that you, that you're aware of the uh, the requirements, but thought, well, it couldn't have been that important. Uh, the thing you know, that this is not something anybody had interest in; it was none of their business. Uh, the, the that. Even though that it doesn't feel like a willful filing, I'm sorry, willful failure, uh, that that's a a willful failure. So, mm. um, yeah. So, so, yeah. I mean, and yeah, that that's an important point that uh, it's just a reporting requirement, but it is it is super important. And you know, in other countries, you know, like I have a client in the Middle East that was saying, you know, it's part of their culture to have joint accounts with parents and stuff like that. Basically, every account over which you have signature authority 
even if you're not the ultimate beneficial owner and it's for your mom or your dad or you know some other relative that for some reason they couldn't get an account on their own, whatever the reason is, once you can sign for it, it's reportable, including company accounts. So maybe you're senior enough in your uh, in your company, uh, the company that you're involved in outside of the U.S. and you, you have signing authority over for checks for that bank. Even if you can't sign the check on your own, it has to be two signatures. If you're one of those signatures, it's reportable as well. So it is, you know, it is pretty encompassing, and it can also include under certain circumstances investment accounts or your, your foreign pension, depending on you know you have to look at the unique circumstances. So in other words, it could be a pretty wide net. And yeah, so it is something, and again, speak to your advisors, sit down, have that one-to-one in-depth conversation and make sure that nothing gets left out because the consequences could be pretty expensive, right? Uh, last yes. but not least, and as a great segue to that, you did mention in passing that, hey, there is remediation available. So could you talk to us a bit about the options, you know, like streamlined offshore disclosure? So if it is that uh, you you did not disclose everything, what what are your options uh, roughly? Well, basically? If, uh, uh, the, the, the options are going to depend highly on why the, uh, the, the failure of compliance did not take place. And so mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. mentioned that, if, if that one of the things I've, I've mentioned, uh, these difficult circumstances where, uh, you know, that, uh, you, know, you know, people did have some sort of notice of it, like, well, and, you know, that they sort of blew off the questions, uh, decided not to answer the question truthfully, and in much the, again, you know, sort of much the same way you might very well brush off somebody, uh, you know, who's you know, asking you questions where you feel like, well, they shouldn't be asking me anything, except mm-hmm. that, you know, that this is something that the IRS very much has business asking that they're statutorily required to ask about this uh mm-hmm. and so you know first for you know, that for those sets of failures uh that you have the most difficult uh you know kind of disclosure which is what's called voluntary disclosure practice and mm-hmm. that's not avdi avdi doesn't exist anymore there used to be something called the offshore voluntary uh disclosure initiative or disclosure program uh but that has gone away and basically what you're left with now is for you know, for cases involving failures that can't be said to be non-willful, uh, essentially disclosure to the IRS criminal investigation division, and then negotiating with them about uh, you know just how bad the penalties are, and uh, you know, that uh, uh, and where that you should expect to you know, uh, to have uh, some kinds of penalties involved you know, you know, for that. Uh, you know, that I, you know, I can't say that uh, I've you know, you know gone sufficiently sort of far through those programs where I can say exactly what the what the criminal investigation you know does. Uh, if you know, that there's some things I've uh, had the uh, chance to initiate recently, but that's you know, there at the beginning. Uh, the better options are the various sort of delinquent information return delinquent mm-hmm. fbar uh mm-hmm. you, know, you know filing you know, it's a, you know you know uh return streamlined uh mm-hmm. again these all have in common is that there's either a very good reason or at least a non-willful reason so uh, the highest uh you know, you know best case scenario is reasonable cause uh which is you know that where that uh uh you know that uh you that you can show that is that somebody other than you messed up and sometimes that really does happen and uh uh and i have had uh, cpas 
uh, actually you know, draft affidavits when they can truthfully say that uh, you know that they either you know failed to ask or that they were told and uh, uh, they simply just you know didn't prepare you know these returns didn't prepare them timely uh, you know that there's a you know change in staff and so that things slip through the cracks uh, things like that you know happen and that these are cases of, of reasonable cause um, you know. Uh, and you know, and uh, 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 they're also in, in uh, and in, in in that case, uh, you know that unfortunately, you know, fortunately, sort of the you know some of the easy programs have been uh, taken away. So uh, it it will require uh, you know some kind of correspondence to the IRS, ideally a cover letter with the return. I have to tell you that I've seen that the IRS regularly ignore the cover letters. And so very often with some of these you know, cases that have reasonable cause, that there are these frontline people who uh, are an automatic pilot and who sort of you know, deny that they, regardless of uh, what mm. somebody wrote in the cover letter, <laughs> that they say this doesn't establish reasonable cause. You have to go to appeals, and so that you can very oh. well serve this is you know, that, you know that having the cover letter, uh, you know that uh, I I wasn't able to file the returns on time because I was uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I was held captive in a, a Russian POW camp and I had my arm chopped off. And uh, sorry, this doesn't establish reasonable cause uh and uh yeah. uh you know they, they has to go to an appeals officer before that mm -hmm. that gets reviewed uh mm -hmm. you know that uh the streamlined is that you know is paradoxically uh you know easier even though that uh you know involves uh sort of a, a you know you know, uh, you know, not as good a reason, but usually some sort of non-willful reason, like and which is that mm -hmm. I wasn't aware, and and it does involve yeah. you know where that nobody has brought this to your attention. You're filing yeah. returns on your own. Mm -hmm. uh, you, know, you know that uh, you know, uh, but you know basically they can show that you messed up. You know, not that you know, mm -hmm. not that somebody else caused you to mess up, but you know that, that you messed up and that you mm -hmm. really had no intention to you know to mess up. Uh, you know, then you can go through streamlined, and if that you're uh, uh, a non-U.S. resident, you know, have sufficient non-U.S. residency, and you have that, uh, then you can go through and uh, you know and come away with no penalties. Uh, there is a what's called a miscellaneous penalty that might be five percent. Uh, it's calculated off of an investment base, uh, and so that that can you know that, that can be a real penalty, but that uh, you know still is better than you know that voluntary disclosure practice, uh, and so that then is also a you know, favored way out. Um, Again, I will caution that non-willful really does need to mean it really does need to be non-willful, and I have seen cases where that you know somebody who uh, has actually been filing these things for years and they they stop filing. And the reason they stop filing is that well, you know that they sort of sense that you know some of the financial information might have been wrong and so like well they didn't want to file the the, the returns until that they were correct and uh, where i've you know sort of you know told them uh, i don't think that this passes muster is non-willful mm -hmm. uh you know that uh you know that one of the uh, uh, you know, one of the things that i think is uh you know is absolutely injurious to non-willful is that if you had been complying and then not and then mm -hmm. and so uh you know that that's a case where you know, that uh unless you can show that somebody who's actually Telling you, uh, no, that you know, that you know, while you had been filing, you really don't have to, and then you followed that person's advice. 
mm-hmm. you know, that you know, that's the only circumstance there where I think that that would pass muster. And then I think it's important to get that, you know, uh, you know to get an affidavit from uh, uh, the practitioner who did that, or to you know chase them down and and uh, file a complaint about them. Uh, you know, but uh, you know that uh, you know, that. Uh, non-full real non-willful really does need to mean, mean non-willful and mm-hmm. uh you know, and you have to be absolutely rigorous in, in applying that and so uh then if that if that somebody told you and you ignored it uh uh, that 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 uh, that's not you know that's not you know, that's not permitted uh mm-hmm. you know that there's a term that's referred to as willful blindness mm-hmm. uh willful blindness is not is not equivalent uh to uh, uh to non-willful in fact they're treated as antonyms uh mm-hmm. with respect to uh u.s enforcement mm-hmm. no th- those are all great points they it is a bottom line is that this is a minefield to negotiate and if it is, you find yourself in the unfortunate position where certain things that should have been reported, should have been disclosed, or you just haven't been filing for a while, you you do yourself a favor to get advice. And if it is that it involves foreign financial assets, you definitely want to sit with practitioners for whom this is an area of expertise. They're familiar yeah. with foreign financial assets, they're familiar with foreign investments, foreign companies, uh, and whatever else needs to be to be properly reported. And with these various options, unfortunately, you know, a lot of it isn't again is not codified. There's no there's no tax code really. It's you know, it's someone who is uh, experienced enough or able to reference, you know, the, some of the cases that come out like, okay, well, you know, what does willful mean? You know, what right. does not willful mean? And and making sure that you inadvertently don't open yourself up to making things worse. Because I've met someone in Indonesia actually, who, you know, they went, you know, they, they went through the disclosure process. I, I guess they went through streamlined, but unfortunately the practitioner they used was not familiar with international asset reporting and compliance. And they, they, the practitioner, you know, they, they were just outside of their, you know, they're swimming outside of the building and they made the situation worse. And, you know, that, that the taxpayer was, was quite distressed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, you know, know, that uh, I've, Mm -hmm. I've never had a, you know, a client who's been uh, kicked out of streamlined, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but uh, it is something that happens. Uh, and so you know, that, that the, and so the IRS mm-hmm. does look for instances when, you know, that mm-hmm. they feel that, uh, that the streamlined is being misused. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've, we've had it, you know, this particular client. And the thing is that some working uh, as the accounting team with his tax attorney, someone, someone like, like yourself, and we warned the client, hey, we know your situation. We don't think you'll qualify for Streamline. But he was adamant that, hey, let's give this a shot. Let's give this a shot. And as predicted, right. we got kicked out. But, you know, uh, it, it tends to be something kind of really obvious. But otherwise, you know, Streamline, the burden of proof, it tend, relatively speaking, it tends to be on the lighter side, would you say? Well, I said what I would say mm-hmm. is that uh, that it, you know, in general that the IRS mm-hmm. rules of evidence it's not like a uh, you know courtroom where that you mm-hmm. know, that uh, uh, you know, they have to you know, you know go th- you know, through certain uh, you know, through th- certain steps in order to mm-hmm. get the evidence in or for that matter that mm-hmm. uh, then there are you know, certain things that kick out the IRS will look at anything that's relevant and mm-hmm. so on the other if that if you 
you know, present things that you know, on, you know that are you know, are facially credible uh, mm-hmm. and relevant. Uh, the IRS will, will look at it. Uh, you know, uh, but you know, that I guess that the thing I would say is that overall, that the story has to hang together, and uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, that uh, this is sort of a uh, slightly. Uh, this may seem like a slightly woo way of uh, describing mm-hmm. things, uh, but I tend to mm-hmm. think that reality and truth sort of vibrate on their own frequency, uh, and mm-hmm. as that there are things that you know, that uh, are credible have a solidity, you know, that you know, that they're facts. There's a reality. The documents tend to you know, you know, back the reality. That the story t- is is mutually reinforcing, and that when things are, you know, are inconsistent, you know, that it's like that there are all these. Uh, you know, loose threads and you know, that, you know, there are questions raised about why is this thing uh, true, but not this thing. Uh, and, uh, you, know, you know, and so, uh, you know, that it's, uh, I wouldn't say that, the, you know, that the, uh, you know, that the, the burden is necessarily lighter, but I would say that there's uh, a good faith that's presumed. And mm-hmm. if the presentation, the facts seems mm-hmm. to justify the good faith, uh, mm-hmm. you know, then my experience is that the IRS uh, simply doesn't do anything more. It's mm-hmm. sort of you know when that there's that there's something that's that's inconsistent, mm-hmm. uh, you know that uh, you, you know, that that raises issues uh, that mm-hmm. the, 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 the that uh, that the IRS does ask more, and so mm-hmm. uh, that there's somehow that the IRS you know, is able to. Uh, you know, engage in some discernment you know, that mm-hmm. if you know, if that you know, if if my things are going through but there are streamlines that are being rejected or at least they're being inquired into mm-hmm. somehow the irs is making these determinations yeah absolutely uh on that note we've come to the end of our discussion thank you so much for generously sharing from you your, your, your vast expertise and your precious time i know you're super busy uh, if so, if someone wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best way to find you, William? Uh, the, uh, the, you know, the best way that, you know, these days, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, uh, you know, at my, uh, uh, you know, you know, the, you know my new uh, email address. Uh, so that's wmfunk at norris hyphen law dot com that's the best way to email me uh you know that uh, you, know, uh, you know now that i'm a uh, member at norris mclaughlin uh you know that or, you know that you can or somebody can simply uh you know, look up the website at uh, norris mclaughlin dot com and uh uh you know and, and uh, check out my profile there uh and so that's uh, those are that's th- those are now the easiest ways uh you know, it's it's now the easiest way to get in touch with me and everything will be you know done through uh uh through the you know, through those means Fantastic. Thank you very much. Appreciate it again. And have a great day ahead and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Uh, you have a good one. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye now. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.